Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com. Sewers on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Did you ever wonder who scored that perfect 100th percentile on the ACT? Meet Craig Gehring, a Baton Rouge native who got a perfect score on his ACT and has turned that genius test-taking ability into one of the fastest growing companies in the area. Mastery Prep started out preparing individual students for the ACT and in just a few short years has created an entire brand of test prep materials for a variety of standardized tests that's being used in school districts across the country. Craig, I've talked to you on the phone, I've written about you before, it's a pleasure to finally meet you in person. It's great meeting you. Thank you. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Well, while Mastery Prep is helping to improve minds in the Baton Rouge area, our next guest is working on bodies, and like Craig has an amazing feat of her own, she's turning back the hands of time. Emma Kruger is a specialist in the emerging field of metabolic and regenerative medicine, which involves a variety of treatment measures and lifestyle changes, and her practice is the Metabolic and Anti-Aging Center of Louisiana. Emma, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank well, you. Craig, let's start with you. I love this story. You were a student at Baton Rouge High in the 1990s, and you got a perfect score on the ACT. I mean, were you always a genius child? Uh, did you think you were going to do that well? Did this just sort of happen? You know, I, uh, I've always tested well. Um, I, you know, I'm pretty strong in tests. I'm a complete idiot in many other things. And thank God <laughs> for my wife to kind of keep me going. But I do, um, I do do well in tests. And um, I think that, you know, when I started tutoring students, um, you know, I had a, a very, it was very fortunate that I started in Baton Rouge because the students that I started working with um, we're not students who are trying to get a perfect score. They're trying to get tops. They're trying to get a 20. Sure. And uh, that's kind of rare, you know, in the retail market. And so, um, you know, I got to learn what it takes to get a student up to 20. And it turned out that um, many years later, when state started holding schools accountable for improving ACT right. scores, and particularly students in lower score ranges, you know, I was able to take that, th that hard-won experience and apply you know, how to do well on a test uh, to students who, who might be struggling with it, who might be scoring below college readiness thresholds. So what is the secret to doing well on a standardized test? Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of different factors. I mean, a lot of students struggle with test anxiety, um, and a lot of that has to do with how you prepare. Um, you know, a, a student who's well prepared for the ACT isn't going to experience as much test anxiety, and they're going to be able to, um, you know, they're going to be able to, to go into the test with confidence. And so that's a big thing. But there's also curriculum points. Like to do well in the ACT, uh, you have to have a very strong foundation in English and math. And that's what we work with uh, in our program to, to help students get ready. Now, you all have taken beyond just the ACT test prep material and expanded it to other 
types of standardized testing as well, right? That's and right. to other school districts around the country. I mean, you've really grown a whole brand in just a few years. That's right. Um, about four years ago, um, we had two pilot programs um, and uh, in two schools in the area, and we saw excellent success, and our timing was just right. And you know, with the, with the states around the country adopting accountability, um, for their principals to get the ACT scores up. Uh, we now work with uh, close to 600 schools and districts uh, in the Southeast mainly, although in a number of states throughout the country. And, and I've heard y'all say that your goal is to go national. Absolutely. You want to be in school districts in every 50 states. We absolutely do. And you know, you know the first stepping stone is uh, to be regional. You know, sure. uh, Four years ago, our only clients were in Louisiana, um, and now we have a very strong presence uh, in the Southeast. Um, we sometime last year uh, we became the top ACT prep provider um, in the country uh, just because our model is very disruptive uh, compared to retail providers where we work with schools only okay. and so we're able to serve a lot of students um, you know a ton of students like the, the impact of the students is huge compared to um, our, our competitors. What does it cost to get a great score? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that I think the biggest cost is in is in time and in, in, in the work that a student has to put into it. Oh, that's well. a political and, answer. Well, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's true though. I mean, like if a student's going to perform at a very high level in the ACT, they've got to be dedicated to this process all the way back in middle school. And they, they have to be, sure. everything that they're doing in school day to day is going to have an impact. You know, one thing that we say is every day at school is an ACT prep day. You mm -hmm. know, and things that the student's doing in middle school and their study habits and their behaviors can impact how they're going to do in high school. But can you give us an estimate? <laughs> <laughs> do you know before our program, um, typically it would cost a student, a parent might spend up to $1,000 or more preparing their student. And through our program, uh, in working with schools, the schools are actually able to provide this to students and their families for free. And so one thing that, sort of the, the thing I'm very passionate about with Mastery Prep is we've created a model where many parents who would not be able to access ACT Prep, who would just not be able to get their kids ready, are able to access it through their schools um, at no cost to the parents. Very impressive. We're going to come back to you in a minute. I would like to turn to Emma. As I said before, mind and body, that's sort of our theme here today. And you're making people look and feel younger through a type of medicine that, like 20 years ago, nobody had really heard of. What is metabolic and regenerative medicine? Well, um, it's very similar terms. But when we talk about metabolic medicine, we're talking about looking very deeply at uh, various uh, maybe metabolic or nutritional deficiencies that can be corrected to optimize someone's quality of life. Lots of my patients are fairly healthy people who don't have any, you know, traditional clinical diagnosis, but they'd like to feel better and they would like to perform better. And uh, that's where we start looking at, you know, some changes that occur with time and try to correct those problems. Now, are we talking simply injections like Botox or Juvederm oh, or things like that, or is it a broader field than oh, that? Oh, it's as big as you'd like it to make, but it definitely includes patient's effort. And everybody who comes to our clinic already prepared to make changes in how they eat, how they exercise. Huge part of any regenerative plan should be mindful living and ability to reduce the stress, meditate, and manage your life stress, manage your life every day. And then we step in and we fill in, I would say maybe 50% of that plan, and we say this is the nutrients you need, this is hormones that's becoming depleted, this is the cause of your hair falling out, and it may be not nutrients, it may be your stress, and you need to go back to just taking time off. And so for different patients, it's 
become different plan and customizing and offering your best performance plan is exactly what we do. Now, does the traditional medical establishment recognize metabolic and regenerative medicine? I mean, it's not a clinical rotation you do in medical school, for instance. I'm so glad it? you asked. And um, it's actually my clinic becoming more and more integrated and I'm making a huge effort to network with my patients' primary care physicians, their specialties, and every one of the physicians who is already on board is a huge part of their care. I make sure that they're aware of what we're doing, that it fits in their plan. I have lots of patients who, let's say, cancer survivors. Now they're free of cancer, but they don't feel like they felt before this diagnosis. And so it's very important that whatever we do, all these decisions are made in conjunction with the cancer doctors, and they appreciate call, and they actually prefer patients to us. Well, you mentioned cancer survivors and, and surviving cancer. I'd like to introduce y'all to Joe Lovett. He's chairman of the board of Esperance Pharmaceuticals. Y'all are doing some impressive things to improve the mind and the body. Esperance is doing something potentially even more impressive. This company is working on a cure for cancer, developing a new class of anti-cancer drugs that selectively kill cancer cells without harming other cells in the body, which is just so tremendous, and, and the potential of Esperance is so exciting. Joe, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Stephanie. And, and as I understand it, you're chairman of the board of Esperance by virtue of the fact that you're managing director of two early stage venture capital funds, right, that have invested right. in this type of research. So you basically created Esperance. Yes, we did. Tell us how this came about. Um, it's a long story, so I'll Good. try to keep it. <laughs> My partner, who is at the next table, and I set up a, a first venture capital fund in 2004. We were recruited mainly by the research universities in Louisiana. We had done this in Boston with another gentleman in Harvard to look for exciting technologies and form companies, license the technologies, and commercialize them. This lytic peptide technology of Esperance, that is now called Esperance, was very interesting. The Early results at LSU and Pennington looked really, really interesting. And there were two previous licensees that tried to get this to a commercial state and didn't make it. So we took a shot at it and formed the company and brought in uh, Hector Alila, who's been on the cover of your magazine yes. a few times, from Philadelphia and brought in some other venture capital funds. Make a long story short, Hector worked with a Pennington scientist whose name is Carola Leuschner, invented a new molecule which came under the existing Esperance patents, and we formed the company, licensed the technology, and where we are now, uh, about eight years later, is we've taken the drug through phase one clinical trials in several different types of cancer, and phase two clinical trials in ovarian cancer, and the results are very encouraging. What does very encouraging mean in terms of survival statistics or five-year rates or something like that? Uh, I really shouldn't get into that, but okay. uh, it, it was enough to get a strategic industry alliance signed with MD Anderson to help us out to get the drug into a phase 2B and phase 3 clinical trial. They're heavily involved with the company now. MD Anderson is? MD Anderson is. And the results of the phase two trials were presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology in late June by an MD Anderson researcher. So the Fantastic. results were encouraging enough for them to leap in and help out the company. Now like we hear so much from Big Pharma, does it take just billions of dollars to bring this to market, this kind uh, of research? Well, we've spent uh, 20, about 
31, 32 million dollars. That's to a get lot. the product, yeah, it's a lot. But in terms of what you hear in the news about bringing drugs to market, it's not a lot. We've been very capital efficient. We've run the company with six or seven employees here in Baton Rouge. A lot of the other functions of the company have been farmed out. It's what's called a virtual company. Okay. So we didn't have to build a big staff here. Uh, Hector and the other members that we brought in, the other venture capital ones, we know how to do this. So we need, we've been able to be very capital efficient going forward. So you said you've been through phase two clinical trials, you mentioned phase two B and then One, phase three. three. How many phases are there that's until it. this is, that's it? That's it, we're hoping this, we're hoping this is it. So then when will it be commercially available for any doctor to use on any patient? Let me go through the timeline. We're doing some laboratory testing right now in MD Anderson to get better what's called patient markers for patient selection so we can select the patients on which the drug has the greatest chance of succeeding. That's all going on now. That should be done in three to six months and then we'll start either a phase 2B clinical trial in ovarian cancer or a phase 3 and a phase 2 trial in breast cancer, okay. triple negative breast cancer. Now these are trials that are called open label trials so we'll know the results as the patients progress. It could be as early as a year from next June, probably two to three years, where we'll really have enough data to take it to the FDA. We've already met with the FDA. We know exactly what they're looking for. Okay, that is so very exciting. Yeah, we're very, very excited about it. And, and there's nothing else like this on the market. Is that cr accurate? Well, there are drugs to treat ovarian cancer and, and breast sure. cancer. The drugs to treat ovarian cancer, they're, they're not that effective. Mm -hmm. In fact, the control was Taxol. Right, right. Uh, breast cancer, there are a few drugs to treat. This is called triple negative breast cancer. Okay. So the most popular breast cancer drugs that are on the market now really don't work that well hmm. against triple negative breast cancer. Triple negative breast cancer accounts for 15% of all of all cancers in breast cancer, but 30% of the, the deaths. Wow! So it's a it's a huge need. Mm -hmm. Tech transfer is an issue that we hear so much about in Louisiana and that we have good science here, but that we can't ever bring it to market or that we don't take it to the next level. Do you, what, what have you encountered here that is maybe holding us back? What are we doing wrong? So that, there, why aren't there more Esperanzas out there? Well, there are. Um, in Louisiana, I mean. Well, uh, we've, done, we've done well with tech transfer. Our fund really started with Governor Foster in his Vision 2020 program. Okay. How to get Louisiana into the high-tech game by capitalizing on the research of the universities. So the Louisiana Economic Development Department and then an LSU foundation hired a person in North Carolina, his name is Fran Meyer, who was a long-term friend of mine. And so Fran wrote a report and said there are three things to get Louisiana into the high-tech game. You need to build some incubators. Can't put these life sciences companies in a strip mall. That's done. Okay. There are incubators in Shreveport. There are two. There's one here in Baton Rouge. There's one in New Orleans. There's one in Ruston. These are the biomedical incubators, right? right? Life like sciences the ones incubators. Sure. Okay. That was done. The next thing was to establish a venture capital fund. So Fran said, "Are you interested?" I said, "Sure." So came down here, met the people, and my partner Rick, Bab, and I decided to do it. So that's venture capital. 
the third initiative was to improve tech transfer at universities. Mm -hmm. That's been an evolving process. Of the 13 companies in the first fund, I think eight companies have university licenses from Louisiana Tech, a lot from LSU, and from Tulane. The second company has two, uh, the second fund has two companies started on licenses from Tulane. So we've been able to get it done. I think improvements have been made, more experienced people have been brought in. LSU has reorganized their, their tech transfer. So it's been addressed. Interesting. On a slightly different note, but related, Craig, have you found in, in this market the resources that you need to grow your company in terms of investors, venture capital? I know it's not a tech transfer type of situation, but are the investors here for you or have you had to go outside the state? Absolutely, they're here and they're they're willing. I think that um, they're also, you know, there's infrastructure in place. You know, when we, when I started um, really getting to the point where um, this was starting to grow, I was able to move into the Louisiana Technology Park. Okay. And, uh, you know, they're an incubator that was really able to provide a lot of the, the basic infrastructure we needed to be able to operate. Mm -hmm. And also those early connections to capital, both uh, debt and equity. Um, we've been able to largely, uh, up until this point, uh, be revenue funded um, through the sales and through traditional banking, uh, be able to, to get to where we needed to go. Um, you know, and we really wouldn't have been able to be revenue funded if we weren't in an incubator, just because, you know, there were a lot of costs we were able to avoid by having that space, you know, having the Louisiana Technology Parks staff early on helping us with uh, dealing with our finances and kind of setting our setting our plan. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I think like what they offer is just fantastic. Absolutely. You know, for, for companies. Well, y'all, we're going to take a little break right now and do something a little different. This is what we call the checklist. It's that part of the show where we ask you each a question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So, Emma, I'll start with you. What would make you consider leaving Baton Rouge? Oh, interesting <laughs> question. Um, I don't know, maybe my daughter moving far away and establishing her life elsewhere, and then I would do my best to try to be close to her and enjoy grandchildren and, um, you know, grow old around her. But that, that leads me to a follow-up question that I wanted to bring up. Baton Rouge as a place to do business. Mm -hmm. um, Has been absolutely wonderful. Is it receptive to oh. new ideas, for instance? Very you all are all so. doing sort of new and interesting things. Have uh, you found you know, a receptive I, market here? I expected it to be a whole lot more difficult than it has been. Baton Rouge has been very acceptive. Baton Rouge, my patients are amazingly educated. They explore, they learn, and they know as much as patients anywhere in the country. I know California thinks they're very progressive. I think my patients just as educated. Interesting. And well, that's so, good to hear, um, certainly. Yeah, has been wonderful. Craig, what about you? Um, how has your management style evolved over time? I think the biggest thing is going from a, um, you know, we've gone from, uh, you know, a few employees to, to over 50. And I think that I've kind of had to grow in terms of, um, you know, being willing to, to say no. And, you know, kind of see part of my job now is saying no, 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 no. And, uh, you know, another aspect of that is uh, being more transparent with my staff when, you know, I, I, I kind of default to being the encouraging and kind of, you know, guiding a person, and uh, I found like one area I really had to work on is being transparent when things aren't going right or someone did screw up, and just communicating with them and, and helping them understand. Okay, this is a problem. This is a situation. We need to, you know, address it and move on instead of just kind of 
working on fixing it and never having that reality check. And I think that um, because of that, I think my team understands where they stand and we're also just more realistic about you know what needs to happen to, to be able to succeed. Do you make your employees take tests? Uh, we actually, when they're training, we get them to take an ACT practice test. Oh, we there don't, you go. We don't judge them by their <laughs> ACT score, um, but we, uh, we definitely want them to understand what the students are going through and, and have that fresh in their mind. Okay, that's good. Joe, here's one for you. You mentioned growing um, your business to 50 employees. What are some of the challenges you all face in your individual companies of, of growing and getting to the next level? I mean, I suppose with Esperance, it's, it's the testing and the regulation and the... It's the testing, it's the regulation, it's the availability of PhDs and postdocs. This is in Boston, it's coming. You know, in the state there are three medical schools and a vet school. Mm -hmm. So the, the industry is slowly evolving. But you're saying you need more PhDs yes. here in Louisiana, in yes, other to words, to get from. the research done? To, to, yes, and to develop the products from the companies. It's better in New Orleans, but it's a little thin in Baton Rouge. Interesting. But is, is the New Orleans market sucking up the PhDs and, and taking them? No, it's just that there are two medical schools there. Right, so you have Tulane and LSU as opposed right. to just LSU. Both with PhD programs and MD programs. Because we hear so much about the, the shortage of STEM workers and you know in the engineering yeah. field and such, but it's I didn't realize it extended to oh, it's an PhDs and, and it's biomedical. An wow. What about you, Craig? What what are some of the challenges of, of growing? What's holding you back at this point? You know, I think that um, I mean there are lots of challenges in in starting up a business, and you know we're very fortunate to, uh, to have a very strong team of uh, people who are kind of right in there uh, with us to, to solve the problems. But, you know, I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, if you're a startup, you have to evolve and you have to grow and there's just bumps in the road to doing sure. that. You know, like our focus from the get go has been on the quality of our product and being able to give, provide something that teachers need, you know, and a lot of times you have to get in there and you have to try things out and you have to, you have to work with the teachers and, or with your customers to, to kind of evolve. And that, that's hard sometimes it's hard. You know, you take some knocks and you have to, you have to keep working to, to, to make it happen. What kind of competition do you all face at Mastery Prep? I mean, are there other, there's nobody else locally doing what you do, but around the country? One of our direct competitors is uh, Cambridge Educational Services, which is a uh, they're, supplemental they're a publishing yeah. provider. And, um, you know, we do compete somewhat with the Princeton Review and Kaplan's of the world. Um, I mean, those names are so established. They've been around for decades. Absolutely, they are. And, you know, but they're, they're branded for high-performing students. Like when people think of the Princeton Review, they think of, hey, I, I want to get my kid into an Ivy League school. You know, that's why we're doing the Princeton Review. And we're we're branded to be the the service that schools rely on for students who, you know, are trying to get to a school. You mm -hmm. know, they're trying to get to a place where they don't have to take remedial remedial classes when they go to the community college or the college. And and so we're get, we're building our name around that. And so we don't have to go head to head with those established brands to be successful. We just have to do, just keep laser focused on doing what we do well um, and, and we'll continue to grow. And Emma, I know there's a lot of competition in this market for what you all do, at least on the aesthetic medicine mm -hmm. side. We mentioned that earlier. How do you 
how do you deal with that? Well, I personally don't deal with that at all. I let my marketing people worry about <laughs> aesthetic competition, but I think my job is to worry the most about providing the cutting edge care for my patients. So my job is not to think about doing people you know, next door, but worry about what is the best thing for this patient. I just came back from the conference three days ago, and the amount of new amazing information is just huge. And so staying on top of it, every time when patient walks through my door, telling them the latest and the newest, that's my biggest responsibility and challenge. All right, well, y'all, we're almost out of time, but before we wrap up, I want to ask you all a round of two quick questions. I'll ask you each the same question, and then you can give me your answer in a couple of sentences. Where does, where does genius come from? Is it inside of you or from a particular inspiration, Joe? In, in me or in general? Well, <laughs> both, maybe. No, I'm not, a, I'm not a genius. I'm just an old ball-headed venture capitalist looking for another deal. No, genius, I, I think it's the 80-20 rule, the 95-5 rule. Even at universities where we look for our technologies, usually <coughs> there are you know, 20% of the professors or 5% of the professors that seem to have the same good ideas all the time. So they're just there. Yeah. Craig, what do you think? We're about to launch a practice testing and analysis system called TrueScore that gives deep insight into student performance, for example. And I think that all of those you know, those aspects of our program are born out of something outside the company, out of the interactions with the customers, out of, uh, you know, finding out what they need. Um, I think I think Genius is a, is a collaborative endeavor, and I think that, you know, kind of what positions us to grow is the collaboration we have with Afrobeck customers. That's where we've really gotten um, some good gems of, of, of inspiration there. What do you think, Emma? Um, I think it's definitely, like Craig said, collaborative endeavor, but nevertheless, it has to be at least three variables. It has to be probably some um, genetics, you know, chemical ability mm -hmm. to function well. Then it has to be environment where this person can flourish and then it has to be hard work and when it all comes together then we can actually recognize someone and say oh my gosh this person is genius <laughs> good so. answer and and last one where do you want your company to be in three years joe what will we see esperance in three years doing uh, hopefully part of a major pharmaceutical company with either a major license deal or to be acquired and you think it, it, in, as soon as three years, it could be yes. un owned by a big pharmaceutical company? Right, or have a major licensing agreement. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Let's hope so. Craig, where will Mastery Prep be in three years? You know, our goal and our focus as a company is, you know, because we're providing scalable solutions for a school where they're able to impact large populations of students. And we're starting to see this in Louisiana where we're having impacts on entire school districts and on the state of college readiness with their students and their average ACT scores. Um, nine out of 10 of the fastest growing school districts in Louisiana on ACT were using Mastery Prep last year. And you know our goal is to get to a point where we're able to affect that on a, on a national basis. Excellent, well good luck. Emma, what about you? Um, I think we're going to continue to grow, but really seeing patients providing best patient care, that's what we're going to do three years from now. All right. <laughs> well, y'all, thank you so much. Thank I appreciate it. Enjoyed thank having y'all here on Out to Lunch. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Craig Gehring of Mastery Prep, Emma Kruger of the Metabolic and Anti-Aging Center of Louisiana, and Joe Lovett of Esperance Pharmaceuticals. You can find out more about Mastery Prep, the Metabolic and Anti-Aging Center, and Esperance by following the links on our websites, wrkf.org and itsbatonrouge.la. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. 
The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Ken Stewart. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new album, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at mitchellforeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsbatonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com